Hey everybody, welcome to my show Ausgirl Politics, where I interview smart people and get them to help us understand Australian politics in simple terms. If you are a new Australian resident or anyone who's intrigued by our politics, this show's for you. I am your Ausgirl Tarini Rowett and on my first episode, councillors, what's up with that? My special guest, Michelle Kleinert, will tell us how she got elected into local government, eventually becoming a mayor, and what really goes on in the day of a life of a councillor. Michelle is the past president and current executive officer of ALGWA, the Australian Local Government Women's Association for Victoria, and past mayor of Manningham City Council. She's also currently running for re-election for local government for the Westerfold Ward in Manningham City Council. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the show. How's your week been? Uh, great. <laughs> Uh, as great as it can be in the midst of COVID and uh, election, 2020 local government elections. So, and uh, running a, a uh, organisation like Algwa, it's it's full on at this time. So, but I love it. I love this full on. Don't ask me what I did yesterday. I always, I just know what I've done 10 minutes ago. You know, I follow you on Facebook, right? And I learned many things about you, including some detective work that you do as a counsellor. I am going to play you an audio clip. Hang on. Michelle and she'll contact us. Whereabouts would it be? Uh, oh my Temple goodness! Stowe, Temple, where are we all? Near, what is that? Um, Reynolds yeah. and uh, Circle. Yeah. <laughs> in the quadrant. Yeah. What is that? I can't remember what that was. But if anyone finds it, they'll get. They'll let me know. If what was I doing? Stay safe. Thanks. That was you offering to help this young lady in her car find a missing drone. It appears she lost it somewhere pretty cool who knew that's what counselors go out and do right <laughs> yeah i know yeah. Some, sometimes people say so you're a counselor do you counsel children or is it marriages i'm actually an elected <laughs> right and uh, they sort of look at me and go oh okay yeah local government oh and then you look at me like as if oh, i'm not that smart anymore <laughs> when i hear the word counselor a counselor suggests that you are like the go-to person for everyone's problems like yoda for instance <laughs> people come to you and you give them advice and things just magically start to happen well, well you know what things do happen I, I like to think that i make them happen now look i'm a problem solver to, to be serious so i sort of find that role that name counselor uh you know you counsel someone to you know for the benefit you know like a counselor when you go for marriage counseling or you know uh you know youth counselling sort of thing you're always you're counselling them to something positive and something so I sort of always have that ethos that as a local government counsellor I'm there to help people. In fact you've been a counsellor for 12 years now and you were the mayor of Manningham in 2016-2017 what got you interested in local government in the first place it seems like a scary thing to do. Yeah you know what I didn't think too much about it that's probably the the biggest tick I didn't overthink it. Uh, I, from a young age, I loved watching the elections. You know, the state, the federal. I found it so fascinating. Oh, I loved it. Um, really? What did you like about it? I have no idea. 
but I just found it fascinating. I found it fascinating how they would talk about stuff and that. I don't know. I just found it really interesting. Uh, it was 2012. It was the start of the year. I was at a breakfast at, up at the local place. Someone was sitting around and they were talking about the local government elections coming on and the lovely lady next to me who was a journalist, she tapped me on the shoulder and, and she said, you'd be great at that because you love people and you love solving problems. And it was really interesting. It was that one little tap. Uh, I was doing work overseas, so I would travel uh, every June, July, August uh, to Europe and do some work. I came back and the local council um, magazine had uh, council elections and all you need to do is be 18 uh, Australian citizen and no criminal record. And I went, oh, I thought you had to have like a PhD or something. And I looked, and I always had in my head, you know, this look. It was always this look that just was definitely not me. Um, but when I realised that's all you needed, that was it, I sort of went, oh, I might give it a go. Didn't think too much about it. And so I thought, and I'm one of those, once I get it in my head, you can't turn around and say no. And so I, did. I didn't ask anyone, should I? I just went and did it. And I had no idea what I was doing. I, uh, I went to someone who I'd met um, previously, a, you know, a few years back, and they were a former mayor of the city. Um, and they were long gone out of politics, but I rang them up. I found their number and I said, look, I, I want to run for you know, local government elections. And I, you know, I'd love um, if you could tell me if I'd be okay in it. And she just turned around and said, uh, I'm in Noosa. I arrive on Friday. Don't talk to anybody else. Let's meet 11 o'clock. And yes, you are going to get elected and you are going to be fantastic. No way. She told me that. She said that she already knew, like, and it's, it's amazing how positive words from somebody just saying, yep, do it. Um, and it was, it was just so simple and plain. And if you keep that language in your head, as simple as that, got nothing to lose. I'm going to go for it. Why not? And uh, yeah, why not? And I did. You are obviously an experienced campaigner by now, but how has campaigning changed this time around? COVID just takes it to another level. And then on top of that, uh, in my area, we're going to single wards for the first time. So currently, we are in, um, Manningham has uh, three wards and three councillors in each. The state government changed that, that Manningham, come this election, now turns into nine wards and uh, one councillor in each ward. So you've got the same amount of councillors. But um, instead of me being in a larger area with two other councillors to look over the area, my area becomes much smaller and only one is elected to that area. So that puts a, another complexity onto what is already a very you know, stressful time. You know, how do you campaign when you're not allowed to go out? So who makes decisions about number of wards and why do they do that? That's uh, state government made that change. That's state government. Why they do that? Uh, there's many, there's many possible reasons. Um, it will definitely help um, uh, the parties if they have endorsed candidates. It helps them with regards to money and targeting. Um, so that's, you know, they'll never go and say that, you know, that's an, that's an opinion that one will have um, or may have. Um, that's certainly um, my personal opinion um, that I... I see that it makes it harder for an individual person um, when you have a small budget, um, makes it harder because it's only one that gets in. Whereas the first time in 2012, 
you know, I had in eight people, you know, three were going to be elected. Oh, wow. That's just full on. And speaking of full on, can you tell me about what goes on in the day of a life of a councillor? Like, so what happens on, say, day one of being elected? Does someone come up to you and say, oh, here's a copy of the Local Government Act? Bang. Here, go and do your councillor things. No, look, there, there is an induction. So there's a few things that need to be signed off that you must um, partake in. That's part of the state government um, regulations because we need to comply under the Local Government Act, um, which has now been upgraded to the 2020. As of the 1st of September, it, it comes in or came into effect. So um, there's an induction. And, you know, there's a process of, of lots of meetings where you're getting fed a lot of information but, you know, one thing, the organisation, the municipality, the office is very dedicated to making um, every councillor supported and and feeling um, equipped to make good decisions. And, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. It does take time. It's very daunting. I remember in 2012, after one of the first big meetings that we sat there and, and went through, you know, a whole raft and an overlook of of. Manningham and and the budget and some of the things that you know you're going to be making decisions on and you know the remit of your role and I remember sitting there and um, I went into the other room I've never forgotten I started crying and um, two of the officers came and females and um, they both came and they said what's the matter what happened are you okay they were freaking out you know and I just looked at them you know with these you know bawling like a little baby and um, what happened is I um, said to them, I, I'm just, I feel overwhelmed. Uh, I, I have just realised I am now custodian over a $130 million budget, $2 billion of assets, and I've got thousands of people that um, put my name one, um, let alone two, three, four, I'm elected, and I've got a responsibility to them. You know, I've freaked. I all of a sudden went, oh my goodness. But you know what? I see that as a really good thing because it made me look and see, I'm going to take this role so seriously. I'm going to, I'm going to do the best that I can. And I know I won't always get it right, but I'm going to try my darndest to represent my community and hear from my community, listen to my community and deliver to my community what, you know, what I believe they're telling me. And so, you know, so I see that as a good thing as much as I was overwhelmed. But, you know, straight away, you know, the officers were, we're here for you, Michelle, whatever you need, you know, you'll be all right. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. And, and you know, in that human aspect, that's, you know, that's that's what you get to help you get through. You know, other people, you know, they dealt with things differently. For me, it was very much, you know, that, that weight of just I want to really be the best that I can. Yes, I am a high achiever. Yes. You know, I'm uh, extroverted, so I'm very out there. And, you know, you feel all of a sudden very naked in front of your community because everyone knows you. You walk into a cafe and they go, oh, I know that person. So, you know, you, you want to do the right thing. So basically your vulnerability was your strength and showing your authenticity made people want to help you, support you and even want to su see you succeed in your role. Absolutely. And then fast forward to a few years later, you became the mayor of Manningham. So what is it that a mayor does that a councillor doesn't? So um, a mayor is, is uh, sworn in every year. So the elected councillors uh, then elect the mayor each year at what they call the AGM, which happens over a period of uh, 
a month within a, a date prescribed by the state government and it's usually around November. And so you've got that title for a year. Essentially, you're the face of the city. You're the spokesperson of the city. Uh, you have There's certain documents that you must sign uh, that no other councillor can. Uh, there's um, uh, citizenships. You, uh, you do the citizenships on behalf of the federal government, and that can only be done by either the mayor or the deputy mayor now. Uh, it used to be just the mayor or CEO. Um, but I believe that was changed to uh, mayor and deputy. Uh, so you chair the meetings, uh, you um, assist in looking at the agenda um, with the CEO to bring forth the councillors' views, uh, sort of a support to the councillors. So that's not necessarily always easy uh, because, you know, it's just deal, you're dealing with a whole group of people. You don't choose your team, as an example. So, yeah. The, the mayor's responsibility full time, you know, they're, they're meeting with state and federal government, you know, on particular issues to that area. Uh, they may have uh, residents that want to speak to the mayor because there's a long standing issue that they're not happy with. So you're, you're dealing with a whole raft of, of, of stuff. You're usually on some extra committees. So it is it's quite a full time gig. Um, I know that mayors and councillors get some sort of an allowance. How does someone with a full-time job balance that with their role in local government? So I'm going to go by my experience. And uh, my experience has been that when um, someone's been mayor and they've worked a job, they've not done the mayorship very well. I have not personally seen anyone that's been the mayor and had a, a full-time job do it well, personally, um, across, you know, Victoria. That's my personal opinion. Uh, but I... What about a counsellor, though? Can you balance your full-time work with being a counsellor? Is that yes, possible? Yes. yes, you can, because as an example, so um, let me just finish off on the mayor job. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. So, um, but we, I have seen um, mayors that have done part-time. So what they've done is they've still remained with their work and then, you know, um, lessened their full-time job to part-time. Others, when they're mayor, they've taken a year off work, um, and I've seen that better because it is, it's a, quite a balancing action. You've got to forget you've got your, your family as well. Now, with a counsellor, um, a counsellor, uh, you are, it's long, this is the requirement of a counsellor, that they make uh, appropriate decision-making at the decision, at the, at the council meeting. Now, some councils run once a month, some twice a month. So you have your council meetings to go to. You need to go to briefings. So our briefings are every Tuesday night. Other councillors are every Monday night or every Thursday night. And then, so we're every Tuesday night. And then within that Tuesday, there'll be one Tuesday's a council meeting, as an example. So you'll get your papers to read on the Friday. You're making a decision at the table on Tuesday. So you've got some time to um, read, to discuss with other councillors. If you want to make any motions or amendments, councillor amendments, you've got some time there. You need to give some time to that. Then you've got some committees that you're on, and I always suggest don't be on too many. You need to juggle around with what you do. But, you know, a, a good counsellor does give good 15, 20 hours a week. I say to a counsellor, be very careful that you don't do too much um, and overwhelm yourself. It's finding the balance, and it takes a bit to find the balance. But, again, every every counsellor's got a different personality, got a different strength, got a different... Um, skill set so you've got to use that to your strength I know a full-time counsellor uh, a mother of three 
and is is you know a CEO of an organisation. They always say I'm not a very good counsellor. And I said, no, you are a great counsellor. You read your papers, you ask questions at the briefings, and when you make a decision, you make it with the full facts. There are other counsellors that are very lazy. They don't read anything. They go to the briefings and they say, oh, tell me about this, tell me about that. And I sit there and think, it's in the paper, read it. So they, they're the ones that flop around. To me, they're the ones that I get really, you know, deep down I get a bit disappointed and upset and they're in every municipality um, because it's good look. I look like a counsellor. I feel great, da, 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 yada, yada, yada. Um, but, you know, a good counsellor is someone that takes it seriously um, that does not, it's, it's not a full-time job. It's not a job. It's like a board position. Um, and, you know, you are given an allowance to allow you time to partake in that role. Now, you don't have to go to every uh, community event. When one person goes, council's represented. So you don't get yourself thinking, I have to go to everything. Oh, my goodness, it's so hard. I go to a fair bit personally because it's my skill set. I love it. I don't get tired from going to a function and I run my business to accommodate that I'll work these sort of hours so I can do this, this and that, but I, it's planned. You know, most of the things I know a month ahead what's going on and I can say, no, I've got too much, so I'm not going to get anything else. And I, I monitor it that way for me. You mentioned you have experienced frustrations with other counsellors. The newspapers have reported in recent times about what goes on in, say, Whittlesey Council, where an entire council got sacked, and then in other councils where there are rifts between councillors or between the CEO and councillors and so on and so forth. This sort of thing could scare off potential female candidates, don't you think? Like, they might think, what am I getting myself into? I'm not political like that. How do you manage internal politics? Look... Um, it's it's not easy, um, but you know when 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 look it is not easy. Um, I can't really comment on why. So Whittlesey, Casey, and um, Gippsland, South Gippsland, you know they're sacked councils. Um, there's different reasons why they were sacked, but um, and you can't necessarily comment. But one thing that um, in one of them particularly, it was the a lot of the problem was the breakdown. Now there was multiple problems in all of all of those um, councils, but the breakdown of relationships of councillors around the table when that's broken, when it's when it's um, decimated, good decisions do not get made. And and whether we like that or not, that's the truth. When you have political councils. And so that means that, you know, I'm on one side of the fence, you're on the other side of the fence, and then we never cross over because politically we don't align. But again, what is there political about a pocket park upgrade? There's not. But when you've got one side, so I'm on A side, well, my A team is going to vote for me. B team is not going to vote for me because they just don't like me. So all of a sudden they vote against it, not because of it's a good idea or it's a bad idea, because they don't like me. That is poor governance, poor decision-making. It's a breakdown which causes problems for the organisation. So it's, it's you know, that that's why you want to have a raft of, of a delicacy, of a pizza topping of, of, of elected representatives. So you don't have that. You get too political in there, you will have problems. You will see breakdown. 
and at the end of the day it hurts the ratepayer. Yeah, it hurts a ratepayer and it also hurts the people in it. If one becomes a councillor and the rest of the councillors don't like her because of her affiliations, how does she overcome that? 100%, but the thing is, um, you don't. your relationships don't necessarily break down. If, if I'm the only person in my council that's a member of a political party, uh, no, so let me, let me talk about Manningham as an example. I've been in council with people that are, are members of political parties, both sides. But one thing that I love about my municipality is the decision-making around the table has never got to the point of factions because culturally it's just not in there. Other municipalities, it is very much about political being, you know, you've got to have you know, the political um, nows to be on that council and the political ones get voted in, it becomes a pl very, very political. My politics in, in, in uh, Manningham, we have politics, yeah, the politics of making that decision, but it's done with a different culture. So I voted with um, my, you know, I've had good relationships and have good relationships with my councillors. doesn't mean that I always vote the same way as them because the way I see the situation is one thing, the way they see it is another. But you don't turn around and you, you don't leave the table going, I can't stand you, you should never have done that, I'm going to get you back. There's none of that. But when it stretches to that and it, it becomes personal, then it becomes very broken and it's not good governance. Does diversity then play a role in building consensus without the vindictiveness? Uh, would you say your council is different from others just because of the nature of diversity in there? Yes, I, I, you know, I, I think so. Uh, to be honest, I think so. Look, diversity of, of women and men, definitely different. There is um, 13, 13 councils in Victoria, I think it's actually maybe 14 now, where there's only one woman on the whole council, the rest are men. And I was speaking to a councillor, female councillor, and she was originally in 2016, there was elected, there was three women on that council. One then resigned for ill health. And then, um, and count back, Mentor Man came on. And then um, the next one, she then left. Um, I forgot what the reason was. So then this particular counsellor had, from having two other female colleagues, now was zero. It was her. And she said the decision-making around the table was so different, Michelle. You have no idea. The way I was treated around the table was so different because all of a sudden it was just one woman, not two, not three, and she goes, and, and the decisions, it was, it's, it's incredible. Now, when I look at that, that says that you need the diversity. You need the, the, the left brain. You need the right brain. You need the female. You need the male. You need the youth. You need the wise. You need a, an array, a, a, you know, a, a real a, a mixture of people. You talked about you just there. I want to go back to your legacy as the past mayor of Manningham. During the time where you were a strong advocate of youth mental health issues and equality, could you speak more about that? Uh, yeah, you goes very, very fast. So uh, as well as, you know, the whole day-to-day -day operations of, of, you know, council life, um, I really wanted to, I'm a very project-driven person, and I really thought to myself, there's an opportunity to look and see um, what I can do for my city that I can do in the role of mayor that I may not be able to do as a councillor. And so um, mental health is a huge uh, thing for me. Um, I've seen um, my best friend's husband commit suicide um, when he was about to become a, a first-time father. 
And, you know, when you, we look back at, you know, what happened, you know, there was things in his youth that were obviously never dealt with that, you know, eventually um, sadly ended his life too early. And that really, um, that hit me very, very hard. So I started um, investigating, you know, what is there in mental health? What is there in youth? Just very general. You know, I sort of sat with the officers and said, this is type of things I don't know. Go away, investigate, come back and see. And then what came back is actually um, the biggest issue that we've probably got facing our youth is actually lack of mental health service within the city. You have to actually travel out. We don't have a train. You can only, you know, go by bus and in some cases multiple buses and trains to get to a mental health support. So um, we then you know, started some conversation and I thought to myself, wow, this is, you know, this is something that I, I think would be great for our city. Uh, the mayor has a ball every year and the, the, the ball is the mayoral ball, but the mayor then decides to raise money for something that, you know, they're particularly interested in. And so I thought I'm going to raise money to that. And um, so it became the project that just grew and grew and grew. And I was receiving calls every day from parents ringing me saying, thank you so much. It means a lot to me what you're doing. And it really started my my office became a revolving door of, you know, people, the wailing room, it seemed, because the amount of people crying, including me, just talking about it and what it meant to them. And I just, I really felt that heavy burden. Uh, the ball, you know, sold out. I had uh, a lot of youth because I was speaking everywhere about what I, you know, really hoped to achieve. Every Friday afternoon, high school girls would, would uh, go from the local high school, would walk, and they would sit in my office helping me pack things and do things, and even the staff would say, Wow, that's some powerful stuff. Yeah, and we were, you know, we'd be in there and we'd be giggling, and I just remember one day sitting there thinking, oh, you know, it's just great seeing these young women, they just want to help, and they're sitting in a mayor's office and just having giving them that opportunity meant so much to me personally that I could do that for them, and it and I still speak to some of them today. You know, it, it's it's been beautiful. The the ball was a success. It was sold out really early. I had um, business coming to me saying, I want to be part of something really good and, and we really believe in what you're doing. And so it just really grew. I would stand, the local Kiwanis were selling raffle tickets that would give money to the, the organisation. So I would sit in, I stand in the supermarket selling $2 tickets that would be drawn at my ball. And, and people would say to me, you know, it's, this is, you know, you really, I, I'm not lazy with working hard for what I believe in. And um, I hoped originally to raise $20,000. I thought that would be amazing. That would be fantastic. Then all of a sudden, you know, with the selling of the tickets, I realized, wow, I worked out. I thought, gee, I'd nearly hit 20 already before the ball. And then I started thinking, oh, I'm going to go for 50. I can do it. And, and you know, I started you know, targeting and that. And next thing I started thinking to myself, far out, I reckon, you know what? I'm just going to round it off and I'm going to shoot for 100. And, you know, I had so many people just going, you got rocks in your head, sister. You are just, what planet are you on? And I drove, like, I did seven days a week. I was on the phone. I was, I was, I was loving it. I was doing everything like, you know, I did over 500 uh, functions in that year. But again, it's my skill set, so it didn't wear me out. I loved it. And next thing, you know, we're at the ball, the thing's ticking. We raised $53,000 and I was crying and I was just so upset. And then someone um, very quietly came to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, our, our business commits the rest. You've hit your 100000 because we love your passion. And I was, it was all over. I was 
what an incredible achievement and when you were handing over your mayoral role you gave quite a passionate speech let's have a quick listen to a short clip there are lots of mixed emotions in this and knowing that that time is today that i now hand that over to the next mayor and it's been an absolute honor to serve my city the support has blown me away immensely i thank my father who has been How much of an influence has your father been in your life? You got quite emotional when you talked about him. Yeah, I'm still emotional. <laughs> yeah, I think to have someone, um, and yeah, there's a lot of history to, you know, which you know, I won't get into, but um, I really, I love, I love what he's achieved and what he's done and, and um, the man that he, he is, the morals, the values, um, and you know, I'm, I'm shaped by that. Um, I know he's proud of me and everything that I am is because, you know, I have a great example and I'm very lucky because not everyone has that. And so when you, when you look at someone who's a leader and, you know, I, I really do believe that I'm a good leader because my heart's in the right place. And every good leader has someone that they look and they really admire and they really value. And you can't help to mimic or exemplify, you know, that within the way that you shape your leadership. And, you know, he was very supportive in that year. It was a tough year and, and you know, you, but it was a, a wonderfully tough year. I was, you know, it was so exciting and it was just so wonderful. And my grandfather was the mayor. Um, of the city and you know in back in the world war ii when the you know the russians invaded germany because i have german heritage and and he was taken away and, and my father never saw him again and the things that my father endured from a young young boy of only six years old at the end of the war and seeing what he saw and you know it didn't make it didn't scar him to the negative it made him who he is so i'm so lucky i've not had to go through all of that so i you know part of me just thinks you know, I've got no excuse that I live in a very lucky country. I have great opportunity. I have, everything is here for me. So, in, you know, embrace what I can, do what I can and use, and he always taught me, you know, use the skills that you've naturally got. And my natural skill is that I'm very empathetic. I am very, I know that I've got that charisma, yeah, that charisma. I'm extroverted. I have a theatre background. You know, I'm four foot nothing. And I've got so much personality that it just never ends. You know, I don't get tired. I don't tire. You know, you can ring me at 11.30 at night with your problem. And if you said, I need to see you, I would get out of bed and I would get there and I would, it wouldn't bother me at all. I just think if I'm helping you and, and I'm going to get you through, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes. Michelle, you are so passionate, outgoing and seem to truly care about others. Why aren't there more women like you in local government? I mean, the stats are bad. Local government has less than 40% female representation. Why should people care about getting more women into local government? Well, because we're half the population of, of you know, we, you know, they, we think differently. Um, we need that balance. Uh, is all women on council a good thing? No, because what about the, the, the thought process of a man? You know, so you need both. You need the diversity. Um, to me, it's, it's not that hard and it doesn't need to be that hard to sort of look and think. The, the hardest part is, is 
you know, how do you make how do you make this? It's it's not easy because if you're working full time, then you go home, you've got to cook, you're cleaning, you know, you're sorting this out, you're paying this and you're doing that. That's not easy. That's 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 a juggle in itself. And you know, there are households where the men are so supportive towards their women. There's that balance where the women are doing you know, all sorts of stuff and the man, you know, helps and balances that. Um, I think you just need both. It's And speaking of women, let's talk about what Elguavik does. You are the past president and current executive officer there. And I must say I was pretty impressed by you when Thank I you. became a member. You. Um, um, you personally rang me up to welcome me to the organization and uh, you offered to do a coffee with me. But before I ask the next question, can I confirm something with you? Just This is just out of curiosity. Am I like the only diverse member of Algua, like the first South Asian Indian women member? Yeah, I think member? you are. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I've come first in something. Oh, I love it. Yes, yes, I'm the first South Asian, brown, Singaporean, Indian woman of Algua. Oh, but seriously, though, I had a look at your website and there were loads of pictures of members in there and nobody looked like me. And I, to be honest, I found that pretty intimidating. What can Algoa do to change that? Um, you know, I love that you say that because one of the things when I became the executive officer of Algoa Vic, so I'm only the executive for Victoria, one thing that, um, you know, when I looked at my wish list, um, I looked at um, we need to drive membership of women. Second, that that, that membership is not the wild, white Anglo you know, um, one, you know, just that, that straight out um, same looking, you know, stereotype. I had a desire and it's really hard and you'll edit, you know, to make it all work, but I had a real desire for um, diversity because uh, there are some great women in communities right across and they're a representation of, you know, of, of our city. So I really want to work, and it's very hard. It's very difficult because we are a very small organisation. We do so much um, that's really volunteer work. I mean, you don't want to know the hours that I do voluntarily for the organisation. Michelle, thank you so much for doing this interview with me. Have you got any final words to, to say to women out there who are thinking that maybe they too could possibly run for office? I think that if you've listened and it's made you go, wow, that was interesting and stayed listening, uh, then there's something more for you. And um, reach out uh, and ask. Uh, look, I'm always a phone call away. One day I'll be a coffee away. I would love to, when this all goes back to normal, start running stuff that we can sit around at a coffee place and, and talk and answer questions for women and make them see that, you know, there's every opportunity. Yeah, if something's just, um, if there's that feeling within you that something's struck and you've, you've got an interest there, explore it. You have nothing to lose, just explore it. And Algovic is there to empower and to encourage uh, great women to succeed and excel in, in local government and in leadership roles. And this concludes my very first episode of Oz Girl Politics podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and want to hear more about women in politics and, and just more about politics in general, 
please subscribe to my show. You can find me as Oscar Politics on Spotify, Apple. I'm pretty much everywhere.、Uh, if you want to have a bit of a discussion or post comments about the contents of my show, you may also look me up. I'm also Osgirl Politics on Facebook. I've got a page in there, so feel free to like my page,、um, so that you two can be updated on yeah on my future episodes as well. This is your Osgirl Thurinuwet signing off.